Welcome to this edition of our Top 10 Risks series. In this series, we focus on the top dispute risks facing our asset management clients from a litigation and regulatory perspective. My name is Adam Brown, and I'm a partner in the litigation and arbitration practice here at Simmons & Simmons. And today I'm joined by two colleagues from our contentious regulatory practice, Claire Allen and Mark Utley. Today, we'll be discussing the topic of culture and conduct. Now, these are related topics. Not all misconduct will stem from an underlying cultural issue at a firm, but increasingly we're seeing the FCA look at issues through the lens of culture to ask itself and the firm whether a particular instance is indicative of a wider underlying cultural problem. In terms of specific UK initiatives, uh, the FCA has been gradually increasing the scope of its work in this space for asset management firms through the implementation of the SMCR through a focus increasingly on areas of non-financial misconduct that would previously have been seen as outside of remit, and by uh, probably most recently extending the scope of its work into areas such as uh, diversity and inclusion. Now, those in some instances are, are specific UK initiatives, but I think it's indicative of a wider trend that one sees across jurisdictions. And of course, most recently, one has the pandemic response and how that is creating unique challenges in terms of compliance, but also ensuring that firm culture is, is maintained and uh, regulators are looking at that issue um, as, and, and the wider work from home trend that it has triggered. So we're going to draw out some practical lessons uh, during the discussion of those themes. And we are going to start with a question for Claire on um, whether the FCA's focus on culture is, is likely to continue in the year ahead. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Well, yes, I think it's certainly fair to say that culture and conduct remains a really important focus for the FCA this coming year. So you will have seen the FCA's business plan uh, for 2020-2021, uh, which came out in April this year, which states that culture will remain a key priority with an ongoing focus on the FCA's four key cultural drivers in firms. So those are purpose, leadership, approach to reward, and managing people and um, governance. So those are still going to be incredibly important this coming year. And as you mentioned, Adam, the FCA will also especially be concerned to demonstrate that the SMCR regime has teeth. Um, that's relatively newly introduced for asset management clients. So um, enforcement always has a bit of a delay and a backlog once the regime uh, is spread out to new to new firms, but we'll start to see those trickle through to enforcement um, probably this coming year. Um, there's uh, also been a lot of discussion in recent years regarding non-financial misconduct, as you mentioned, and whether this is truly the remit of the FCA. However, it does appear that the scope for non-financial misconduct is, is wide and probably getting wider. It can cover everything really from sexual misconduct down to more anodyne instances of favouritism or sort of bullying in the workplace. Um, and we have a very recent example of this actually. The Upper Tribunal recently tackled this issue um, and it backed the FCA's decision to ban a Mr Frensham 
uh, for criminal behaviour in circumstances where the behaviour was entirely unrelated to his regulated role. He was a um, independent financial advisor. The, the crime was pretty unpleasant. It was to do with um, child sexual offences, but there was no link to his regulated role. Um, the tribunal found that although, although the FCA had not forged the necessary link between the offence and the regulated role, they agreed that Mr Frensham's behaviour in connection with the offence um, and failing to be open and honest with the regulator about the offence uh, meant that the FCA's decision to ban him was justified, as it sort of suggested general disregard for the law and likely disregard for the regulatory regime as well as a result. So in that case, it's obviously not that the offence is worse than the sort of covering up of the offence because it was a bad offence, but it's that kind of thing about being open and honest is what the regulator's really, really looking for. So whilst there is scope for firms to take out of work behaviour into account when assessing fitness and priority, uh, propriety, sorry, it is likely that there still needs to be a linkage to the relevant regulated sta regulatory standards and a lack of personal integrity alone is likely to be insufficient for an adverse F&P finding. So I think that case just really highlights this remains a really tricky area and we regularly receive queries from clients who are still struggling to make calls on whether there has been a conduct rule breach um, for all kinds of non-financial misconduct, really. Um, a couple of recent examples we've had in is um, an employee who was caught with drugs in the office, not using them, but had them in his pocket, um, discussing and sharing answers on virtual mandatory training on Microsoft Teams, again, a sort of pandemic-related um misconduct that probably wouldn't have happened if the training was done in the office. Um, and there's sort of the usual sending confidential emails to your personal email uh, once post-resignation. So I think the key takeaway from, on the non-financial misconduct side is it will always be defendant, uh, dependent on the facts of each case um, and any mitigating circumstances, etc. But it's, it's really important that firms take a consistent approach to similar scenarios that they face just to minimise that employee litigation risk going, going forward. Thanks very much, Claire. Turning to Mark now, listeners may well be aware that the FCA and other regulators have been looking at diversity and inclusion as themes. Could you maybe unpack what the FCA has been doing in that space? Thanks, Adam. Um, yes, as you say, uh, diversity and inclusion has become a really important regulatory theme, um, not just with the FCA, but also with other regulators. But focusing in on the FCA, in, in March this year, the FCA's CEO, Nikhil Ratti, um, said in a speech that improving diversity and inclusion is both a matter of fairness and also a crucial way to strengthen consumer outcomes. Um, now, Mr. Mr. Ratti um, referred to the FCA's five conduct questions, um, which are, are, are those which the FCA suggests that firms use to, to assess conduct risk um, uh, in their business. And he proposed adding a sixth. I think it's helpful just to run through the, the five conduct rules first before talking about the sixth one relating to diversity and inclusion, because it really does demonstrate the breadth um, that these questions cover and therefore the importance that the FCA is taking diversity and inclusion. So to paraphrase, paraphrase the five, the first is what proactive steps does the firm take to identify the conduct risks that are inherent in its business? The second is how do you in 
encourage individuals across the firm, um, including those in control and support functions, um, to feel and be responsible for managing conduct in the business. The third is what support does the firm put in place to enable those who work for it to improve the conduct of the business or their particular area or function? The fourth is how does senior management gain oversight of the conduct of the business? Um, and and how does how does that same senior management consider conduct implications of strategic decisions that the business takes? The fifth um, is whether the firm has assessed whether there are other activities that it undertakes that could undermine the strategies put in place to improve conduct. So as you can see from those five, they're quite broad and they touch all layers of the business. So the sixth um, that the FCA is proposing to add relating to, to diversity and inclusion is, is your management team diverse enough to provide adequate challenge? And do you create the right environment in which people of all backgrounds can speak up? So I think when you whilst the FCA hasn't yet introduced the, that question, the fact that they're talking about it um, in the same breath as these very, very fundamental five conduct rules really does show that the FCA's attention is, is on diversity and inclusion. Um, and it is going to be looking in the year ahead um, to, to, to how firms approach this. Um, and so it's something that it, it, it's important for, for firms to, to get right now um, ahead of sort of scrutiny that, that, that might be expected a bit further down the line. Thanks very much, Mark. I think you're absolutely right to cast that sixth question in the context of the other five, because actually when you when you look at the the underlying issue of, you know, what is senior management able to do from its perspective in, in overseeing the business, the question of how that senior management is comprised is obviously a very important one uh, as a threshold issue, really. Turning to Claire now, um, could you maybe talk us through how the pandemic and the shift to working from home and hybrid working patterns, uh, has that had any impact on the FCA's approach to culture? Thanks, Adam. Yes, I, I think it it has and it will going forward. So obviously there's been an unprecedented shift to remote working or hybrid working and that's caused heightened stress and, and market pressures that we haven't really seen before so it seems inevitable that this period will have tested the culture and conduct risk frameworks that were in place at many firms and whether they're still appropriate for for the new the new normal and the new working practices that we're all we're all facing so i think it's we're expecting to see a rise in a rise in potential conduct rule breaches, as I talked about earlier, but also employee complaints and whistleblows as a result of the changing awareness and behaviours during the pandemic. So this might include the handling of confidential information whilst working from home, printing, um, the use of social media and WhatsApp. And this will likely spill into the FCA's interest um, and potential enforcement actions in, in the next few years. So the use of WhatsApp and other encrypted messaging platforms has already attracted the attention of the FCA in a recent edition of MarketWatch um, as potentially causing um, misconduct or conduct risk area, uh, as it isn't something firms can easily monitor. So I think what we would say to firms is just to ensure that the policies and procedures you have in place for covering things like confidential information and the use of uh, communication tools such as WhatsApp are up to date and, and are appropriate for this new environment. These policies need to be widely disseminated among employees. So 
there's no excuse that, oh, I didn't know if it's just in a funny little place on the internet. Employees need to see it, they need to read it, and they need to understand it. So potentially also periodic training on their obligations that reflect the new working patterns. Thanks very much, Claire. And at risk of giving Mark uh, a huge question with only a small amount of time available left to answer it, we've covered the subject of uh, ESG or environmental, social and governance issues in the asset management sector within a separate episode in this series. But could you just briefly touch for us on the question of whether um, ESG has an overlap with this issue of culture that we've been exploring today? Thanks, Adam. I think think the two are inextricably linked together. In, at the outset, I would note that in, in the press recently, there have been examples of uh, whistleblowers and people raising concerns about ESG related issues at, at their firm at their firms so that sort of brings together um, culture and ESG quite nicely and I think we we would imagine that we will see more of those going forward as ESG takes um, even more importance than it already has I think m- more generally in terms of culture and conduct and ESG I think the key questions for firms to get right at, a, at an early stage is who who does and who can take responsibility for ESG. And that's particularly important given the the significant scope um, that's within the the term ESG. Um, Is it even possible for one person to to cover all of those um, areas or or does it need a committee of of different people and with different specialisms and indeed different backgrounds going back to the the diversity and inclusion point we we discussed a few minutes ago. I think the the importance um, here is that firms make sure that the approach that they take to so giving responsibility for ESG fits their organisation, it fits the structure of their organisation and, and who makes the, 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 the decisions. And I think just, just quickly to, 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 to finish up on this, I think to go back to the, the five conduct questions that I, I mentioned earlier, I think that in, its, in itself provides quite a useful framework for firms to consider um, whether or not ESG has been embedded in its organisation. You, you, you might remember from some of the questions that, that, that it sort of looks at, at staff at different levels of the organisation. So you can use that as a, as a tool to, to really make sure that ESG has, has been properly embedded and that it has the oversight of senior management um, as well, which is, is really important. And I think just, 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 to, just to finish on this, question five of, of these conduct questions, um, has the firm assessed whether, whether there are any other activities that it undertakes that could undermine strategies put in place to improve conduct? If you substituted conduct with ESG, that's quite a useful question for, for firms to ask. And it really makes plain the importance of, of firms looking at ESG holistically across their business and not just sort of in isolation in, within particular portfolios or within particular funds. Thanks very much, Mark. That's um, a really useful introduction into what, as you say, is a huge and developing topic. Um, we are now out of time. So thank you to Claire and to Mark for all of their insights today. To um, those that are listening, please do look out for other episodes in this series in which we explore um, topical risks for asset management clients and how they can be addressed and mitigated. Thank you very much. <laughs>